Hey guys, before we begin this episode, this is Kelsey, by the way, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast revolves around this amazing book called Grit of Love. I would encourage you after listening or even before listening to this episode, go onto Amazon, go to gritoflove.com. You have to get this book. Carol Adams is an amazing woman. Of course, our theme is bringing ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And Carol Adams is this person. And we are going to be talking about resiliency. She is an amazing, an amazing person. But again, Grit of Love is her book. I would say, listen to this podcast, go get the book, read it, and then re-listen to this podcast. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Talking Story Podcast, where we believe all of us can have a more purposeful and meaningful, and yes, an even more exciting life. Listen in to inspiring stories about ordinary people who have done extraordinary things with their lives, through their hobbies, their passions, and their businesses. Join your hosts, father and daughter team, Bob and Kelsey, as they travel the world seeking out those whose stories inspire us to do things greater than what we imagined we could. Well, welcome to the Talking Story Podcast. I'm Bob Olszewski, your co-host of this podcast. And I am Kelsey Olszewski, the host of the Talking Story Podcast. We're glad to have you here. Absolutely. And we are somewhere around 100 podcasts. And, uh, and back in a second season, after taking a short sabbatical, we'll chalk it up to COVID or just whatever, but we're back and hitting the ground running. And boy, do we have a good one for you today. I met, um, after reading her book, a woman named Carol Adams. She's in her 70s. Uh, she lives in Uganda. She's from the United States, spent a lot of time in Hawaii. Um, I wouldn't call her a missionary, not in the strict sense of the word, but she felt, it, 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 Kelsey, as you know, um, just a call to just go serve in Uganda and uh, without an organization sending her, which is something she'll cover on this podcast, which she found out is kind of a, a no-no in the missionary or in the service world. Uh, she just felt, I'll just go over there and figure there's got to be needs and I'll figure it out. And uh, boy, she did figure it out and she's done some incredible things. Yeah. So in this hiatus that we had of not doing the podcast, I actually got to go to Uganda back in November, I think it was, with Forgotten Children, who we did an interview with on the Talking Story podcast and got to see their work in Uganda. During COVID, when no one was traveling hardly anywhere, but you went. Yeah, it was so cool. And so, but the reason I bring it up is I definitely have a heart for the Ugandan people and just love to see what different people are doing. Just because one person's in Uganda doesn't mean that they're all covering the same needs. In fact, these little or now big towns that like Carol Adams is now from um, every place in this world has a, has a unique need. And what I really loved about Carol is first off, I'm trying to figure out how we can summarize a book on this podcast because you can't, I know you can't. <laughs> and when it's, when they say it's brilliant, moving and inspiring, um, her story is incredible. 
And I think the reason that she's one of our first stories to share on the Talking Story podcast in the season of resiliency is because this woman from almost her childhood, from her birth, experienced really hard things. That is an understatement. Um, I, I just remembered as I'm reading through her book, I'd read a chapter and I'd think, oh my, I don't know how anybody could survive that. Oh, good. I'm on another chapter. I hope, hope I get some breathing room. Oh no, this is worse than the last chapter. Oh no, she's gone through a worse on the next chapter. And it was just, I mean, talk about a woman who had to have resiliency. She was just beat up and beat up and beat up and beat up and just went through so much, um, before I guess what we'd call it a successful season that she's had in her more later years. Yeah. So I just, I share it with you because you know, her upbringing and her life to some could be an extreme, like, wow, you know, how could anyone tolerate that much hardship in which she has? But beauty of the book, it's not just a woe is me. The beauty of this book and the beauty of our conversation today with her is the fact that she's taken the hard things from her life and has seen it as a uh, preparation uh, where God has prepared her to do the work in Uganda now in this season. And that's what I just want to come to the table is, yeah, you're going to listen to a story or if you read her book, it's going to be like a, whoa, how can this, this woman have experienced so many hard things? But also, I also want to kind of go back to the power of choice that we could be a Carol Adams in life where we've experienced really hard things from the get go and just be like, man, all the cards have been against us from our birth and we could be the victim and we could walk in this woe is me and my life is so hard. Or we could choose to say, wow, my life has been hard, but how can God turn it around? Or how has God been using this hardship to prepare me for some beautiful things that are going to come in a different season? And so this is why she's here. We're so excited to share her story with you guys. Um, we will not get into her whole like upbringing. We kind of jump straight into um, from her leaving Hawaii and moving to Uganda and what that looks like. So I just would encourage you guys to pick up her book, Grit of Love by Carol Adams. I found Available mine, on Amazon. Yep, I found mine on Amazon because I think there's a lot more that we don't cover, but I just want to share with our listeners who don't know her story that this woman has come through some hard things. And we're going to talk about even some of the current things in her season as she was in her fifties and sixties of dealing with difficulty. Um, but again, just showing that beautiful things can come when we persevere. Carol, some of us think that if God wants us to do something, he'll make a way that's so free of potholes and bumps and danger signs that it'll just be so smooth sailing. We'll be like, that's got to be God. But that's not your story. Your story is one of lots of bumps and potholes. And I, I'd like you to share just a little bit of, of that. How do, you, how do you respond to those that say, if God's in it, it it'll be smooth sailing from here on out? Did Jesus have smooth sailing? Did all the people in the Bible have smooth sailing? I don't believe God has been with me through all of it. 
but I don't believe he has ever promised to have smooth sailing. He has promised to be with us, which is kind of different. And I've been in some really scary and strange situations, but God has always been there and pulled me to the other side. Well, then let's talk about some of that. Tell me about some of the greatest <laughs> potholes, if you will, bumps, <laughs> uh, setbacks, things that you were absolutely sure that this was probably God, but then you just ran into this brick wall and you had to crack it brick by brick. Tell, give, us a, give us a story or two of, uh, of, it was God, but there was definitely a wall to overcome. Well, I went to Uganda completely convinced that God had called me there to work in an orphanage in a certain town called Luero. When I got there, the Luero orphanage wasn't going to happen. They saw a Mzungu, which is a white person, or a Haole, here in, in Hawaii, and they wanted big money if I was going to work there. So there I was suddenly in Uganda, completely alone, but I was still <clears throat> sure that God had called me. It took over 10 days before something else happened. In those 10 days, I did have some fear. I was concerned, but I continued praying, and God came through in other directions, and I ended up in beautiful Fort Portal, Uganda. I know we did a lot of uh, background introduction prior to this conversation, Carol. So the listeners through my dad and I know a little bit about your story. But what amazed me when talking to you was there was no, like when you were in your 40s, you did not think that <laughs> Uganda was in your foreseeable future. You were working with horses. You were living your best life in Maui. And it was through this amazing just knowledge, you called it, about God saying, hey, he wants you working with kids somewhere in Africa. That's not an easy transition to make, especially when you're living your best life in Hawaii. I mean, people say that's where they're spending their retirement. They're planning to live out there the rest of their lives in, this beautiful, in these beautiful islands. And you're heading to this unknown place all by yourself. So can you talk about what was going on in your mind that allowed you to say yes to this really, what to me seemed like a difficult decision and what would be a very scary move? Well, it was almost like I had been earlier arguing with God because earlier in 1995, I felt strongly that I should be giving back more to the world than I was. And I started teaching special need kids and different people, but I was kind of arguing, God, I'm happy here. I love Maui, I love my people. I love going to the ocean on the rainy days up country and everything. But when I was in church on that day, I have never had an experience quite like that one where I, I've i never had such a clear, clearness that there was a place where I was needed, a place where I could be of service to children. I love kids. I've always loved kids. 
because of a medical condition, I could never have any of my own children, but I always worked with children, even at the stable. Mm -hmm. I love kids, and suddenly I'm being called where I could help kids. I was scared. I was terrified, but at the same time excited. If you can be happy and scared and all these emotions mixed together at once, that was me as I headed out on the plane heading for Africa. When I got there, it was even more scary. I heard you say this, but our listeners haven't heard it. Um, many people who might feel called to go and work with kids in an orphanage in Africa would find a, an organization uh, that does that kind of work. They would apply. Uh, they would get accepted. They would go and they'd say, okay, I'm, I'll maybe raise some sponsorship funds, and then they'd go work for an organization. But you, like like Bruce Olson and the working with the Modelonis, I mean, you you decided God's calling me, um, and I believe you 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 thought of organizations and you you applied for a cup, but the doors were closed, and but you said no. If God's calling me, He'll make a way and provide. Tell us how how that started working out, and especially that story on the airplane that. It's still, it still is one of my favorite when I read your book. Um, when I just, when you walked down the aisle and saw a shirt of a, a woman from an organization, we won't say what organization, but from a, an organization that, uh, that does work there, and you're like, oh, another fellow missionary. Tell us about that. Okay, yes, I was turned down by many agencies. I did try to apply to work under agencies, and I was told I was too old, I didn't have enough education, they certainly didn't need horse trainers. Because you were in your 50s by now, yeah, right? I was just 50, which okay. wasn't that old, but anyway, <laughs> I was 50. But yes, I went ahead because they didn't accept me, I just headed on out. And I was on the plane and I saw this lady with a t-shirt that had a mission agency on the back one of the agencies that had turned me down, as a matter of fact. And she said, I saw her and I got, oh, how nice. I greeted her. I said, oh, hi, you're going to Uganda, going back to Uganda? I'm just heading to Uganda. I'm going to work with orphans there. And she kind of frowned and said, oh, and uh, what agency are you traveling with? I said, oh, I'm not. I'm going by myself because the agencies didn't really see the use I could be. And she frowned all the more and was quite rudely told me that uh, Africa nor Uganda does not need people like me coming there thinking I'm going to save the world. And she was sarcastic and rude and that I should just get on the next plane that goes back home. I go, oh my. I continued back to my seat and sat down. Well, talk about persevering because some people who had heard that might just be thinking, Maybe I should just get on another plane and go home. But if anything, I think it might have kind of inspired you, like, we'll see about that. I'm, I tend to be a stubborn person, <laughs> and something like that just pushed the wrong buttons. <laughs> well, you said when we first heard your story that it was because you didn't go through an agency that you stayed through the war that Uganda experienced. And again, we'll have given the listeners a backstory about those, this war. But Carol, you are a single lady 
who is going through a civil war crisis in Uganda. And even through this war, you're not leaving. I mean, I'm hearing your story and I'm like, okay, I think I would have tapped out when someone said rebels are coming and my life is on the line. But because of your listening to Jesus and doing what he's telling you to do and not understanding the end goal, but just doing one step at a time. Anyways, you said that you were able to stick through this war. So I want to jump to this war and can you explain why you stayed while everyone else was leaving um, and your life could have potentially been taken by these rebels uh, who were out to kind of wreak havoc amongst the Ugandan people? Well, as foolish as it sounds, it's more frightening hearing about the war from long distance, like from the States, hearing it on the news or something, than when you're living there. It was horrific. People were being killed nearby me, but I didn't feel like my life was in danger, and maybe that's foolishness. I did have a place where I hid up in the rafters of my uh, small little house in the village, but the fear wasn't there. You wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you continue your day on a normal way. Then you hear this one horrific story after another that breaks your heart and upsets you. But by then, I had already grown to love the people, love some children I had already taken into help, and my dog, <laughs> which is kind of silly by non-animal lovers, but at uh, any rate, I didn't want to go home. I didn't feel a need to go home. I was called there, so I was there. If it was going to be the end, so so be it. Mm-hmm. Carol, fast forward to today, and um, you are, and you can correct me if I don't use quite the terminology, but I would call you the CEO, the founder, the president of an organization called Yes Uganda, who's helped a boatload of kids, and I want to hear some stories here. That will be a second question later, but just give us an overview of what is Yes Uganda, what does it actually do? If someone said, I think I kind of like this lady, maybe I, I, I should get involved in some way, and, but I want to know what she does. How would you, what's your elevator speech for what Yes Uganda does? It's kind of multi-task program. It has evolved through the years, 27 years that I've been there now. It started out, I was working just thinking I should send help send kids to school because many kids can't afford school fees and I didn't have any funding or much to do to do it with so I started out just helping a couple of kids now it has grown and slowly evolved over the years so now I have a home for children that have been born with AIDS and these kids are stigmatized often stigmatized in the village And even when they're not, they're being raised by elderly grandparents or uncles and aunts that already have too many orphans they're trying to raise. So there's a lot of problems with these poor AIDS kids. So through some wonderful funding from some really great Irish people, I built a Mana rescue home that takes care of 30 children born with AIDS. 
until they age out, but even as they age out, we continue their schooling mm -hmm. until they are able to make it on their own in some kind of either large or small positions. And beyond the home, I have about 300 kids right now that are working, that are being schooled and such. But again, these are kids in the communities. Some of them are childhood-headed. Children are raising children over there. Others are being headed by 80 and 90-year-old grandparents trying to raise more children. So we're trying to help not just get the kids to school, but we're trying to see how we can strengthen the families, if possible, help them with more uh, digging of, for food, more uh, maybe some chickens, maybe some goats, encouragement. And even as we raise some of the older kids, encourage them to step back and help their families. So it's multi-purpose. And don't I understand you have a new program coming up where you're going to take gas-powered motorbikes and make them into e-bikes in your community. Is that correct? And how does that work? That's a rather new project. And I have a young couple volunteers from UK. And the young man, who is 30 years old, is very enthusiastic. We have a large vocational center compound that was built with a German organization. And when the fund, when they were finished with their partnership with us, they left. We didn't have any funding, but we have these beautiful buildings and we've been praying what to do with it. Mm -hmm. So if we can start the electric motorbikes, BOTAs are small motorcycles, are common transportation there. They're like little taxis and people ride on the back. And we have been investigating how we can start developing them. We have a large solar panels on the roof that we can recharge the batteries. And again, this young man is a lot more technical than me and very excited about it. We also have some other programs within the technical school. But young men, many young men with no direction in their life but love mechanical things, are going to be also taught how to work with these motorbikes, as well as we're bringing in a man who will teach the normal motorbike repair. So that part of the vocational school will continue. So this is a rather unique direction that's going to be carried by this man, David Patterson, more than me. I've got my rescue home. I've got my kids. I've also got a hostel where I'm raising money to keep kids uh, fed and such. So I kind of wear out with those three projects. So the other one is for David Morton for me. I feel like some listeners who are just like, I can only maybe do one of those tasks and you are managing so many aspects. And I love the sustainability piece to what you're doing with these kids. I think your um, knowledge or just understanding that you needed to not fully depend on outside funding, but that you needed to do some funding inside. And so to creating these hostels to help continue this beautiful work you're doing, I just thought, wow, you know, that's such a cool thing. I think businesses with purpose are really spectacular. So, you know, having a hostel, hostel business and then knowing that these people who are staying at your hostel, is they're 
making a direct impact into the lives of kids. So that's really, really cool. Can you talk about some stories from being a mama to so many kids? And you just got done with a three-week tour. You're about to head on a plane to Uganda tomorrow, and here you are sitting with us uh, on the big island of Hawaii. I can't believe it. You know, I'm like, you have been, I think someone said yesterday, a hero. And I know you don't like that word, but I think um, because of your perseverance and your steadfastness, you do inspire many. And you got to see some of the uh, success stories and what has what God has done through your obedience to him. So would you share some of those success stories with us? It's hard to know where to begin. I'm so proud of my kids. One of the one of my kids is now, well, he's a 40-year-old kid now, but he is a very successful entrepreneur, engineer, uh, author. Mm-hmm. He's doing a lot. He lives in Oakland, California now. He got a full scholarship to Berkeley to the point he's now got a doctorate degree. He was honored by Obama. He started life, both parents died when he was three, five years old. And uh, he was being raised by a grandmother who was deaf and mute. Mm -hmm. And she was doing housework for wealthy people to try to make enough money to feed Chris and the kids in a mud thatched house in the middle of the bush. When he finished primary school and a well-wisher had sent him through primary, which is like grade school, he was farmed out to work with his uncle just herding cattle. The uncle was abusive and not good to him at all. And one day he ran away from the uncle and came probably a good 15 miles on foot to my office begging to go to school. It touched me, we put him in school, and here he is now, my son, and doing fantastic work. He's the one that helped me get my book published. I have another young man who was six years old and his sister was eight when the parents died and there was no adults to take over. They grew on their own at that age. And I found him when he was just going into primary one and we picked up the family. I thought, oh dear, we've got to help these two kids. I tried to find foster homes for them, but the foster homes were abusive. Mm-hmm. So we ended up just renting a one room, one place, and these kids grew. The the sister is just a married lady, but happy and doing fine. But he is now a magistrate in Fort Portal. He's finished school, he finished university, became a lawyer, and now a magistrate. Mm-hmm. And there's so many. I've got about 2,000 kids now. And, well, they're not kids anymore. but. I can't go through town without people saying, Mom, how are you? Auntie, how are you? And it's kind of funny because when I'm walking with people, somebody will say, well, who is that? And I say, I'm not really sure. They're calling me Mom, but I'm not sure who they are. <laughs> and you are the uh, one of the very few Mizzoulus uh, in Fort Portal, or the only one? There's probably a few more now, right? And that being a, a white person, is yeah. that is is there more now? 
other places <laughs> crawling with bazungu, which is the flower for, which is the positive word for bazungu. Oh, it's the positive. <laughs> I mean the plural. Okay. plural. Oh, the plural. Okay, plural. I'm sorry, it's the plural. But anyway, there's a lot of them now. A lot of tourists. We've become a famous tourist city because we're near the game parks, the gorillas, and all that. Early on, I was almost the only one. Gorillas but, that are animals, not gorillas that are people. Which yes, is, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. It's really, really good. Yes. Well, I want to know, because our theme this year is Onipa'a, steadfastness, perseverance. And I want to definitely draw people to your book, because I think in your book, you share story after story mm -hmm. from your upbringing and persevering through some difficult times in that season to your stories in Uganda and it hasn't been easy but over this podcast I just want to ask a basic question have you ever wanted to quit no that's crazy so what in your hard times you know you're talking about rebel groups getting closer and you mentioned that you had a place that you could hide and folks as Carol described it to me she would hide up in this like little loft area and pull up a rope ladder to make sure she was safe during these potential raids that were happening in nearby villages. Um, you've been poisoned before uh, by someone you really trusted. And I mean, I, the list goes on and on what you've gone through. And so the fact that you say, no, you've never wanted to quit. Not a lot of people can relate to that because many of us, when we go through hard times, we want to quit. So now I have to ask, what is your secret? The secret is love. I love my people. I love this. They're my family. I love the kids, and they show me love. They're my family. They take care of me. I've gotten so many emails wanting to know when I'm coming back, how am I doing. Mm. It's home. It's my family. It's where I belong. They're giving me more than I'm giving them in so many ways. It's, it's hard to explain, but it's, I love them. The Talking Story podcast started out, and it's still our theme. It's interviewing ordinary people that are doing extraordinary things. And the emphasis this year, of course, being as, we, as Kelsey's already said, you know, it's going through those difficult and rough times and persevering in doing extraordinary things. But there's a side part of that that I, I would love to hear a story. Didn't hear one um, last night, and I know you must have one. And tell us about a time when there was no money. Um, and obviously to run the sponsorship and the AIDS home and, uh, and, and the other, even now with the electric bikes that you're gearing up for and all that, that all takes money. And, uh, but tell us about a time when there were, I mean, the checkbook and the wallet was basically empty and uh, and God just did some miraculous uh, undertaking where I was like, oh, didn't see that coming. I've always had enough for the kids. I've always had enough for their school fees, for their food. I've been to the point where I didn't quite have enough for food for myself. I've been pretty well broke at times. When I first got there, I didn't have uh, Social Security yet, so funds were hard, and it was a brand new venture that many people thought I was quite mad. So, yes, there was hard times, but God has always, always provided for the, whatever number of kids I had said, yes, I will help you, 
we've always been able to help those kids. And amazingly, totally poor people have brought me food more than once back in those days. They kind of figured out without my saying something that I was struggling. And suddenly I would find some eggs in by my door or a papaya or a pineapple or even a live chicken. <laughs> but uh, they took care of me mm-hmm. and we've always had enough. I've never been completely out. Well, we're about to wrap things up and we really appreciate your time, Carol. Um, something that was said that I want to make sure, something that was said last night that I want to make sure that gets said on this podcast to our listeners is your prayer life. Um, because part of this podcast is use, using story to inspire folks to walk in what God's calling them to do. And they may not be called to start an orphanage in Uganda, but they can pull the tools from your story and implement these tools to walk in obedience to what God's calling them to do. And as we've all learned, when God calls us into something, it's not easy mm-hmm. and it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so reading your book is just so inspiring because if you were looking at it at the time that you would be you know, looking at it, it's like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. Run away now. But now that you are um, older in looking back and having written this book, you're able to see how God's pieced it together. But part of what you mentioned last night was your prayer life. Would you talk a little bit about your prayer life and how that has pushed you through some of those hard times? I was finding hard times when I would lose a child. We've buried more than one child. Mm-hmm. Or when I didn't know how we were going to do something. Anytime I have difficult times, or most times, in the evening, before I go to sleep, I turn everything back to God. I say, Lord, you've called me here. You know the problems. You know the pain. Lord, I'm turning it back. And that helps me get a good night's sleep. I'm not really so good on the church proper prayers and stuff that that people kind of grumble about me on. But uh, my prayer is kind of like all the time. If I'm driving and there's suddenly something scary going on, I pray right then and there, oh, God, help me, help the situation. So it's it's not formal prayers as much as all the time communication with God. Mm-hmm. And nighttime, as I say, when I was early there, I didn't really, hadn't really learned to turn it back to God. And I had some hard nights and some difficult sleep. And I learned I've got to turn it back to God again and again and again. Otherwise, I wouldn't have the strength to keep going. But God gives me the strength. Mm, I think we're going to end it there. Well said. Well, Carol, thank you so much for your time. We will be directing our folks, our listeners to your book because guaranteed after just getting a little glimpse, our 25 minutes is up of your story, they want to know more. And so can you tell us a little bit about the book and where they can find it? It can be found on Amazon called The Grit of Love by Carol Ajayli Adams. Adams is too common a name, and Ajayli is my middle name, so I use that for my book name. But Amazon has it, and I was hesitant to write it. I thought, "Mm, who needs to read all this crazy stuff? 
But my boy, Chris Atageka, insisted and pushed and helped get it through. Oh, well, I am so glad he did. And we will all be beneficiaries of this beautiful book. So, Carol, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, too. Um, <laughs> what a story <laughs> or what a small part of a very great story in a life, uh, lived well. Uh, I, I admire Carol Adams. She has become one of my, uh, living heroes on this planet. That's for sure. And she's so humble. Like, I think you even said that. And she was like, I'm no hero. And I just, her heart is not because she's wanted the attention or the fame, in fact, the book is, is just her wanting to share really what God has done and reflect on her life. And I think in writing this book, I, I don't know this for sure. So Carol, you can tell me when you're listening, if this is right, but probably in writing this book has allowed her to even reflect and put pieces together and go, wow, when God took me through this hard season, little did I know he was preparing me for uh, you know, almost getting poisoned in Uganda or whatever, you know, and the fact that this woman, as we sat with her in the living room of my really dear friend's house in Hilo, Hawaii, and she journeyed from Uganda uh, to Hawaii, and we were her last leg of the trip before she journeyed back to Uganda. And mind you, with a very painful back, yeah. uh, but yet she's still doing the hard things, even if it's physically hard. Um she just carried so much joy about her. And I just, again, keep reflecting that she's not the victim. And that is such a beautiful thing because I think in this day and age, it's so easy for us to play the victim or feel like we've become the victim. And so to turn that mindset and go, huh, wonder what God's doing here. Um, I, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir, dad, because yeah. I don't, I still struggle in hard times. Oh, don't we, don't we all? And, and there's probably our listeners right now. So listener, if, if you know someone else who's going through a struggle, yeah, just think about it. Is, is there someone who you want to say, you ought to listen to this podcast. And you're just like, this is exactly what this person needs because they have been beat up pretty hard in life and just need to know that there's a life on the other side. And hey, we want to just also say thanks for taking the time to listen to the Talking Story podcast. Not only share it, but we're just glad that you're part of it. We're just going to remind you that uh, if you now are inspired to uh, read her book, uh, Kelsey mentioned it in the uh, intro, but just it's called Grit of Love. Um, you can just type that in Amazon and, uh, and, and, and get a copy. It's available that way. Um, pass it again. Just thanks for, for listening. Uh, let someone else know it if you can think of someone that uh, needs that kind of story. And uh, if you're a praying type of person, I remember to just to pray for her. Um, she really feels, and I could just tell she's so sincere. She is from the United States, but no longer does she consider herself. Home is not the United States. She has been in Uganda so much that she is now a Ugandan. And uh, she wants to spend all her days there. And make a difference there. Pray for her. She has a lot more to do, I believe, and uh, and someday that the Lord will raise up successors to take her place and uh, make her work even go further. 
And just to, um, you know, if you are a praying person or want to learn more about what they do with the children, yes, Uganda. And I know we all follow her on Facebook and that's how we get updates on what's happening. And just since we did talk with her in Hilo in this interview, she went home and it had been, I don't know, about a month and there was a a mass, um, I wouldn't say shooting, but a mass killing of some kids in the local schools in her area. And just as a reminder that, I mean, the life that she and those kids lead are, is hard daily. It's hard. Um, And she, you know, came on the Facebook and social media and shared what was happening. And that's how we can know how to pray for her, how to support them, love on them. And know that this journey in Uganda is still not easy, but it's so fruitful and so rewarding. All right, you guys, we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Talking Story Podcast. Thanks for joining us today on the Talking Story Podcast. We hope you feel encouraged and inspired. Be sure to visit our show notes for more information and find us on social media at the Talking Story Podcast. Your hosts, Bob and Kelsey, want to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Oh, and big mahalo to our sponsor of today's podcast, Moy Moy Market, a one-stop shop to purchase products with purpose. We truly believe you have it in you to change the world too and to make an amazing difference in the lives of others.